Uh, something kind of interesting about that hymn slash song is written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. And uh, back in the day, Horatio um, lost a fortune in the 1800s in the Chicago fire. All of his possessions got burnt. And so he decided to pick up his life and start a new life in America. And actually around the time of that fire, he lost his four-year-old son to uh, fever. He sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to America to start their new life. And that ship unfortunately crashed, killing 200 people and his four daughters, with his wife being the only one, one of the only survivors. Immediately, Horatio picked up his life, picked up everything, and went on a boat to America to meet his wife. The captain came up to him when they, at one point and said, Hey, Horatio, this is approximately the spot where the ship went down. And he penned that hymn, It is well, it is well with my soul. The grace of God shows up in incredible ways. Uh, and actually, this past week was pretty difficult for my mom and I. Rewind a little bit. Uh, a few weeks before my 13th birthday, my grandma was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. Uh, my mom had been scouting the Edmonton Humane Society for quite some time because for my 13th birthday, she said, hey, we can get a dog. So, she's scouting, she's scouting, she's scouting. And on August 2nd, a day before my 13th birthday, she says, I found something. Grace of God. The Edmonton Humane Society had uh, three little German Shepherd husky puppies. And their mother was a German Shepherd uh, husky pregnant stray who was actually killing off the, the younger, or the, the weaker puppies. Don't know why, but that's what she was doing. Probably because she couldn't feed them or whatever. And because they were so tough, the puppies' names were Bronx, Brooklyn, and Harlem, named after the three toughest areas in New York. These puppies were tough. They were tough. And so my mom wakes me up on August 2nd, the day before my 13th birthday, and says, we got to go right now. And I'm like, where are we going? We got to go right now. I'm like, where are we going? Right now. Okay, we're going. And uh, so she, she loads me up in the car. We, we drive down to the Edmonton Humane Society. And we were the first ones there um, to look at these little puppies. We arrived just after they opened. And the lady, you know, like we, we go up there. She's like, hey, heard you got puppies and stuff. Like, yeah, we do. You guys are the first ones to come. Come on in. Come on in. And so we come on in. And they're actually not even in one of like the main rooms yet. They're in one of the back rooms. And so we're walking, we're walking, and we get to this room, and I see these puppies in this room, and instantly, like, when, the second you see puppies, I don't know what it is, right? Your heart just kind of goes like, oh. And so we arrived in this building, we went to the back, we went inside, and uh, we, like, walked in or whatever, and we're like, these puppies are kind of, like, doing their thing or whatever. And one thing, I, there's, there's a couple things I noticed about these puppies right away. So Brooklyn, the, the, the sister of the pack, she was a little bit more shy. She didn't really want anything to do with anybody. She was actually rather very content staying in the corner. 
Bronx, he was a bit aggressive. So he was kind of like jumping at us and like biting his siblings. And he always wanted to kind of be the center of attention. And then there was this Harlem guy. That guy. He was just a sweet boy, sweet boy. And he was just like so happy to be there. And he was just kind of standing in the middle of the room, wagging his tail, just happy to be there. And instantly I knew that Harlem would be mine. We went to the front desk and we explained that, yes, we want Harlem. And the lady admitted that Harlem was her favorite too. And so we went to do the paperwork and uh, the lady goes, would you like to change his name? And instantly in my mind, I was like, oh, this is a great name. And I changed his name to Pickles. And so from this day forward, Harlem would forever be known as Pickles, who would soon grow into a big 120-pound ball of German Shepherd mass moving through time and space. And right then and there, it took me until just a little while ago to figure out that Pickles was a furry, cuddly extension of God's grace. If you have your Bibles, you can turn or swipe with me to Philemon. As, we know, as you know, uh, we're, we're going through this book called uh, Small Books, Big Messages. And uh, if you are looking to find Philemon, it's right after Titus and right before Hebrews in the New Testament. And I'll be reading out of the NLT. Starting in verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, as, uh, actually, you know what? I'll give you a little bit of backstory because like, it's kind of weird just like taking this out. So anyways, we've been going through this thing. We have this relationship. We've been talking about two people, kind of this, this guy named Philemon and this person named Onesimus. And Onesimus, we learned, is this like dude who is a slave and he was Onesimus's slave. And so, you know, Onesimus ended up maybe taking some things and running away and... and, and um, Paul is like writing this letter to Philemon saying, hey, look, like Philemon or, or Onesimus came to Christ. He, he actually has a relationship with Jesus now, and, and I consider him a brother, and you should too. So he continues in verse 17. If you consider me your partner, he's talking to Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't, that, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Over the series, we've been talking about, yeah, these two characters. And Philemon is actually the head of this house church. And actually, not only that, but he's a successful business owner. And Onesimus was his slave. There's an important thing we have to understand about the context of this as well. Like, we understand slavery in a particular way, right? It very much so um, has to do with, like, in our understanding, it's very racial and very social. But back in the New Testament, it was actually very economical. You see, if you owed a large sum of money to somebody in that culture, instead of paying them back, you could just opt into slavery. You could say, actually, I'm going to work to pay off my debt. So it would be like 
if you bought a motorcycle on your credit card, went, oh shoot, I can't afford this, uh, and then went to MasterCard or Visa, told them your predicament, and they put you to work in their call centers, having you call to offer people the BMO Air Miles MasterCard with a new balance transfer of 0.99%, which means I'll be seeing you guys in a couple months because I just bought a motorcycle. (laughs) But that's, uh, I'm just kidding, but that's what slavery was. That's our modern uh, uh, contemporary understanding of what is going on here. So to understand this, you must understand actually two things. Onesimus probably owed Philemon a lot of money from a business deal or whatever that he just couldn't pay. And so Onesimus actually said, I'm going to go into servitude. I'm going I'm to go into slavery. I'm going to work off my debt. And then while he was working off his debt to Philemon, he decided to maybe steal some stuff and then say, I'm actually going to peace out. So take care. Uh, and Philemon's just kind of standing there like, guy, what are you doing? In the latter portion of the letter, Paul is saying like, hey, look. So in this latter portion, Paul is saying, hey, look, if you consider me a brother, if you consider me a brother at all, Philemon, meaning your partner and your purpose, receive him, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Does that sound familiar at all anywhere else in the Bible where that kind of is like an idea? The grace of God. See, Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 6, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone who might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Oh, sorry. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone who might, might perhaps, oh, I'm having trouble this morning. It was a long week, I'll tell you. Perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. In this section of Philemon, Paul saying, brother, remember what was done for you. Remember that while you were an enemy of God, Christ died for you. And like, you know, you can kind of read like Paul's frustration coming out a little bit, I think. And maybe he's being a little bit sarcastic because, you know, when he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it. And then he says, I won't mention that you owe me your very soul, even though he's mentioning it right there. It's kind of funny to me. It's kind of like, okay, Paul, yeah, you're, you're just like driving the nail. And like, I won't mention that you owe me your life, but like, you do. And to me, it's like, he's saying like, look, Philemon, I'm talking about the weight of this. Like, this is huge. This isn't just something that's like willy-nilly. And it's like, I'm asking you to do this lightly. But no, I'm asking you to give your whole life to Jesus. And then he says, even if after all that, you still want the money, I'll repay it. But like, come on, man, you've been forgiven of so much more. And you see, Paul here is holding Philemon to a higher standard. He's saying that instead of acting out of offense or anger, 
you should act out of the grace of God. This is the grace of God. And part of living in the family of God and in this community is this idea that we are actually called to a higher standard. And that higher standard, some of us, like, we, we hear that and we're like, oh, that's just like extra rules and extra stuff that I have to do. And like, I, I, I just want to like kind of be free of all that. Like, I hate rules because for me, like, I don't know, like the, the going 60 is like kind of tough for me. I, I, that, that rule is questionable. Like, I'd rather go 62 or 63 just to like break that rule. But a lot of people, especially today, why, whatever it means, had these like unrealistic expectations or rules put on them. Whether you were growing up, whether it was your parents, whether it was a coach or a leader or whoever, you had these unrealistic, like you have to act this way or else. It, or else, you may be chastised, you may be yelled at, you may be hurt, some of you may be even beaten. But you see, that's not what the Christian community is about. You see, when you try to do all these things, when you try to live within all of these rules, you will end up failing. I promise you, you will. But Paul writes this in Romans 7. He says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So you see, actually, what, what, why God says all of these things are sin is because all of these things lead to destruction. And even though I myself not, might not understand them sometimes, I'm going to trust God and say, you know what, God? You are the giver of life, so you should know. You should know what is right. You should know what is wrong. And who am I, a finite, fallible human being, to tell God what is right and what is wrong? And you see, actually, doing what is right, living in the grace of God, does not come out of enough self-exertion or discipline. Those things are really great, and I think we should have all of them. I think we should have, we should always try our best, and we should always try to be disciplined. Paul even writes about disciplining our bodies in 1 Corinthians. However, we are going to fail. We are going to fail. But the cool thing is, God's people are there to encourage us and spur us on to love and good works, to continue to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, be with Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. That's what Christianity is about. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, scholars call this Jesus' high priestly prayer. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, eternal life is a relationship with God the Father. That's what he says. He says, it's not a prayer. It's not going to church. It's not listening to worship music. It's to know God and to know his only son whom he has sent. That's eternal life. That is Christianity. It's to know God. And Jesus has now made this way for us to say, we can actually walk in relationship hand in hand with God. And that's what Paul is going on to say here. That's kind of all what his letters are saying. He's saying, look, like we have this now available kingdom, which you've maybe heard. You've this now available a relationship where God has now created this avenue in which we can walk together, talk together, and be together. And that is grace. That is grace. Paul goes on to say in verses 20 and 22, 
of Philemon. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor. For the Lord's sake, give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. You see, this passage is just riddled with parallelisms between Paul and Jesus. You see, God forgave us our debts, and now Paul is saying that you should forgive other people of their debts, all because Jesus paid the price. You see, in Ephesians 2.8, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It is by grace, Paul says. So Paul goes on to finish this letter by saying, Epaphras, my fellow prisoners in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark and uh, Aristocras, Demas and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you and your spirit. Paul finishes this letter with grace. What is God's grace? It's a fancy word. What is God's grace? When I was in Bible college, uh, it wasn't ever really talked about like by any of the, well, it was talked lots about by professors, but like this definition I'm about to give you, it wasn't really talked about by professors. It was more just like a thing like, oh, this is how we understand it made it easy in common language. But I've heard it defined as a gift you have received or are receiving that you did not deserve. And over the last 13 years, Pickles has been by my side. Through losing my grandma with lung cancer to being drafted into the Western Hockey League, through working through the most difficult of emotions to the most joyous events, through walking with me through tragedy to me accepting Jesus as Lord of my life. This past week, Pickle's back leg stopped working. He would get up and fall and get up and fall. And he was on some pretty hardcore painkillers. And uh, he had to be carried to go eat and carried to go to the bathroom. And so on May 23rd, Tuesday of this past week, we made the difficult decision to put him down. He lived a long life, 13 years, 13 years. For an over 100-pound dog, that's a really long time. That's a really long time. And actually, something I only started realizing until after he was gone was that just how much of an extension he was God's grace in my life. He was a big, furry, cuddly, friendly ball of grace. And so I ask you, just like me, you know, before you had any of the problems in your life that you have right now, before any of these issues existed, God knew about them. And so he ordained a lot. He, he, 
worked out a lot of things so that you may have certain things in your life right now. And I ask you this question. What are those things in your life right now that are filled with God's grace? Maybe people. Maybe animals. Really think about it too, because like God is perfect and holy and his love is perfect and holy and he wants to love you in such a way that is perfect and holy. And to me, pickles was perfect. And I I realized that he was a blessing in my life long before he died. What I didn't realize was just how directly related he was on impacting my life for God's grace. You see, all of these things that I have gone through, the one thing that stayed constant was pickles. The same thing is true about Jesus. Your life may be going to crap, but the one thing that is constant is Jesus. You know, he knew when I was sad, he knew when I was happy, he knew how to comfort me when I was mourning, And he knew how to increase my happiness when I was happy. Last Saturday, one of my best friends, well, two of my best friends, Reina and Jiho, got married. And uh, Jiho is Korean. And his dad went up and spoke a few words and said something in Korean and said, this is a, a proverb. This is a Korean proverb. He said, when sorrow is shared, it is halved. When joy and happiness are shared, it is doubled. And that's what walking in Christian community is supposed to be about. Because life is filled with ups and filled with downs. It's filled with joyous and happy occasions, and it's filled with junk sometimes. And Father, it says in your word that Jesus will go to prepare a place for us in John 12. And so, until I'm there and I see you again, I love you, Pickles. I'll miss you. You were there for me in the good. You're there for me in the bad. I know you're with Jesus right now. So from now until eternity, buddy. Bye for now.